You're listening to the Harborside Church Podcast. To connect with us online, go to www.harborside.org. We hope you enjoy this message. Good morning, everyone. We've got two readings this morning from Genesis. The first is from chapter 1, verses 26 to 28. And the second one is Genesis chapter 2, verses 5, 15, 19, and 20. Genesis 1:26 to 28. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Genesis chapter 2, verses 5, 15, 19, and 20. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth and there was no one to work the ground. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he could name them, and whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. Thanks be to God for his word. Thank you very much, Bridget, for that reading. And it's always um, such a privilege to be invited to come up here and talk with you guys. Um, Yeah, I've been at Harborside now. I think Dave and I have been here now for a year. So this is sort of our anniversary. Um, And it's, it's just so nice to be part of this community. I really enjoy being able to speak to you and particularly when it's something that I really love talking about. (laughs) So work is something I really do love talking about. Um, Does our nine to five have meaning? Um, There we go. Uh, First of all, I wanted to ask you the question, can you put your hands up if your work is actually nine to five? Okay, that's what I thought. There's about four people in the room (laughs) whose work is nine to five. And unfortunately, I'm not getting these slides to go on, so that would be why. (laughs) Um, Yeah, sorry about that. Um, Okay, we're working. Um, So, the thing is that work often isn't nine to five anymore, is it? Um, There's a whole load of reasons for that. Part of that is because we work longer hours than that. Our work is more demanding. Part of that is because of speeded up by COVID, uh, what has happened is a lot of people work from home, um, sometimes because of our devices, we're available 24-7. Um, I've just come back from a writing retreat in Norway. It's such a hard life. Um, and <laughs> and um, while I was in Norway, I was able to lecture, do my lecturing job at Alfred Cruces College. I was able to coach and mentor people, and I was able to hold meetings um, and 
I don't think I would have imagined that a few years ago, that I would just continue doing those things. And so our work can happen sort of almost any time. And if you have a small business or you have children, then your work is virtually 24-7. <laughs> so, so nine to five, I think, has shifted a bit. Our work actually occupies, can occupy up a much more significant part of our lives. But what I really want to do this morning is talk about some of the false stories or, as Marv said last week, counterfeit stories that exist around the idea of work. And then I want to talk about what the Bible tells us about work, um, how the gospel makes a difference to the way that we see our work. So I've made a list of what I think are some of the false stories about work. The first one is my focus is on my leisure time, not work. I think there's a lot of people out there who sort of see work as that really frustrating thing that gets in the way of the rest of life. Um, and so have a sense that sort of I'm just working while I have to, I really want to have more leisure time. I really want to do other things. Work is just that thing that happens in between. The second one is that work is my source of meaning and purpose. This is almost the opposite. This is for those people who just put all their effort into work. From work, they draw their sense of meaning, their sense of purpose in the world. Work is so important. The third one is a false story that religion or faith doesn't have any place, has nothing to do with work. We've seen this sort of come up every now and then. Um, sometimes it's because in some churches you never hear a sermon on work and you might think work has nothing to do with what I do. Um, not in this church, obviously. Uh, <laughs> but sometimes in the workplace, you have this distinct sense that you're not invited to actually express your faith in any sort of way. The fourth one is that work is cursed. Work itself is cursed. And I think a lot of people behave as if this is right. This is sort of the thing behind sometimes that number one one. There's a sense that work is just this curse that we have to put up with. The fifth one is that work is just about earning money. That's, that's all work is for. I just got to earn some money, just got to get by. Um, and as soon as I can, I've earned enough money, I don't have to work anymore. The sixth one is that work is all about me. It's about my ambition. It's about my drive, my success. This is work is all about me driving and so I can be as successful as I can. And the last one is about vocation, a sense of vocation and calling. I have to find my own vocation, my own calling. What I want to do is give you a bit of time now just to chat to the people around you. Which of these stories have you either heard? Which of these stories do you think perhaps you live by a little? Which of these stories do you think is something that describes the way you see your work or people around you see your work? So just a little time to chat amongst yourselves. We're going to go through these full stories in a little more detail, in a little more depth. And what I've done is to show you that these are stories that are really popular, I've actually got, they're all illustrated with memes. Um, so, <laughs> so a good Game of Thrones meme never goes astray. So yeah, you could have your weekend, which is lovely, the love of your life, your dream, or you could have your Monday, which is like a huge beast, a dragon. <laughs> so, um, my focus is on my leisure time, not work. Um, back in the 80s, there was a song by Loverboy called We're All Working for the Weekend. And that really seemed to touch a chord with a lot of people. 
But there are other songs about Mondays, how horrible Mondays are. Um, Mondays are manic. Um, Mondays, we might have Monday, but Friday's on our mind. And then we talk about Friday as the great day. Thank God it's Friday. Um, so there's a whole load of popular culture around you just go for the Monday to Friday and you can't wait for the weekend. The weekend is the important time. It's the time we relax and we enjoy. It's the time when life starts. Even the phrase work-life balance, I think, sums that up. It's almost like work is the opposite of life. <laughs> life is the real thing. Um, I had a friend, uh, she was telling me that she went to her financial planner and um, the financial planner said, good news, you know, just a few more years work and you've actually got enough money to comfortably retire on. And she said, oh, that's interesting. Thank you very much for that. She said, I do enjoy my job. Anyway, a couple of years later, she went to the financial planner and the financial planner said, fantastic news. I think in the next 12 months, we should actually plan for your retirement. You've earned enough. You can have a comfortable life. You know, you can do this. You can do this. You can retire within 12 months. And she said, I don't think you heard me the first time. <laughs> I actually like working. I want to keep working. And he was saying, oh, no one does that. He says, <laughs> you know, it's all about retiring as soon as you can. You, can actually, you don't have to work. You don't have to earn anymore. And, and she said, I want to work. That's what it's about for me. I enjoy my work. I want to keep working. And that's, I think, the whole focus of society. Work as hard as you can for as short as you can so you can spend as much time as possible on your leisure time. But just as my friend said, I think perhaps we have a sneaking suspicion that that work is something more than that and that leisure is something less than that, that work actually is something that's important, um, that's intrinsic to who we are. So let's think about the next one. And as I said, this is sort of the opposite one. This is a, a meme from Stephen Hawking. Work gives you meaning and purpose and life, and life is empty without it, he purportedly said. You have to take these quote memes just with a grain of salt. But anyway... <laughs> Work is my source of meaning and purpose. I think a lot of people behave like this. There was a recent Harvard Business Review article that said that more than 90% of people surveyed across a big variety of um, vocations, more than 90% of people would be prepared to trade income for a greater sense of meaning and purpose at work. That's amazing, isn't it? People would be prepared to be paid less if they had a bigger sense of meaning and purpose in their work. So people really want that. They want a sense of meaning and purpose in their work. There was another article in the New Atlantic that said there's a bit of a danger in that, though. If all your sense of meaning and purpose is caught up in your work, then you're actually giving a huge amount of power to either someone who can fire you or a business that can go bankrupt, and then you've lost all your meaning and purpose. So there's a danger in it as well. I think it's true that we can get meaning and purpose in our work. There's a, there's a grain of truth in that. But we shouldn't see work as the source of our meaning and purpose. I think that's a little bit dangerous. And we'll talk more about why that is a bit later. This third one um, is one. Uh, so this is a meme that's out there where it just says God has no place in the workplace. And I think there's a lot of people in society who believe that. Um, some of you might have seen a recent article by Jane Caro who says chaplains don't belong in schools. And there's a sense that, you know, faith, religion should not be in the workplace. It doesn't belong there. It shouldn't be there. You could ask Israel Folau. 
um, is a bit dangerous to post uh, Bible verses and memes when you're a brand ambassador for your workplace. And that's what we each are now. Um, I recently had to sign uh, a contract that said I would not say anything negative about my employer in any form. I couldn't even have a conversation with my mum and say something negative about my employer, although it would be a bit hard for them to find out. <laughs> but uh, definitely on social media, I'm not supposed to say anything bad. And this, uh, in this contract, it said that that was not just while I worked with them, it was after I worked with them as well, basically for the rest of my life. Um, pretty amazing clause to have in your contract. But I think this is what employers are going for now. They're, it's the power of social media and they don't want people to say anything negative. Um, but on the, at the same time, if, if my faith is expressed in my personal life and I'm seen as an ambassador for my workplace, then maybe there would be a challenge with that. This is something I think that generally quite a lot of people out there believe. But I think it, we know it's basically impossible, isn't it? I can't sort of cut out part of my spirit and soul and leave it at home as I go to work. Life isn't like that. I take my whole person to work. I think there's a bit of challenge around this. Um, and I think there's a bit of pushback in some of our diversity policies and some of our big corporates actually push back against this. But I think it's a bit of a myth that's out there. The fourth one is that work is cursed. Now, there was no end of memes for this one, can I just say? <laughs> work is so bad that I need the world's biggest cup of coffee just to face up to it every day. Um, or else maybe you've been like that woman sobbing at the end of the day, knowing that the next day you have to go back and do it all again. Um, lots and lots of memes about how hard work is, how bad work is, and how much we hate work. It... I found this quote from this guy, Bob Black. It's probably a good name for him, actually, Black. Um, an American anarchist and author wrote in his essay, The Abolition of Work, no one should ever work. Work is the source of nearly all the misery in the world. Almost any evil you'd care to name comes from working or from living in a world designed for work. In order to stop suffering, we have to stop working. <laughs> That is possibly the blackest view of work I have ever read. Um, yeah, but I, I think some people genuinely feel like that. Um, I remember a Brazilian friend uh, said to me that the word for work in Brazil or one of the words for work meant to interrupt pleasure. <laughs> work is seen by some people as just this sort of necessary evil, but work itself is cursed. I think... I think, though, there's a part of us that says, well, it's not all bad, is it? Although for some people work is difficult and hard and some people have experience in toxic workplaces where it's really, really hard. I think there's a sense that work should be better than that, um, that there can be some pleasure that we can get from work. So I think this, there's a bit of a pushback on this too, that people don't completely believe that work is cursed. Um, and ironically, it's come a little bit from the Christian story, but we'll, we'll talk more about that in a sec. The fifth one was work is just about earning money. Now, I have to say that our family is a big Devil Wears Prada fan, um, so this meme sort of spoke to me deeply. Um, <laughs> so when you have a co-worker that's testing you when you have difficulty at work, 
there are times when you just have to go to work, grit your teeth and say, I love my job, I love my job, I love my job, <laughs> just to try and convince yourself. <laughs> if you say it enough, it might actually happen. There was another meme that I almost put up um, where it was in an interview situation, a job interview situation, and the guy's there and he says to this person, why should I give you the job? And the other person says, because I have to pay my bills. <laughs> That's the basic level, isn't it? We need to work to pay our bills. So there's an element of truth about this, that we have to earn money. Um, there's a part of work that's just about earning money. But it's not just about earning money, is it? Once again, I think we have a sneaking suspicion that if it's just about earning money, then that's not enough. That's not enough necessarily to keep us in the job. Um, I have a friend um, in Canada and his dad uh, was a factory worker and uh, he just put up with this relentless job doing the same thing every day, every day, every day. Um, but part of his motivation for earning money was his son, Gustavo, because he dreamed that one day his son would be able to, he'd be able to afford to send him to a good school. He'd be able to afford to send him to a university. And now Gustavo is doing his PhD. So I don't think work is ever totally just about earning money. Uh, the next one is this one. Work is all about me, my drive, my ambition, my success. Once again, quite a few memes along this line of, you know, you work so hard that one day your signature is an autograph. <laughs> oh, dear, that's so ego. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, some of you might have met people like this in your workplace. Have you met people like this in your workplace, these people who are so driven? that you know when you're working with them that actually the work is just a stepping stone for them to get to the where they want to get to. Um, I, I met a person like this. It was a principal at our kids' school. Um, at first, we thought he was amazing. He greeted every parent at the front gate and he used to go into the classroom. Sometimes he would relieve a teacher and teach a class and we just thought this guy was amazing. Started all these programs, was very positive. And then we started to realise that actually his real goal was just the next stepping stone. Um, so after two years, he left us for the next bigger school. And we ended up with, I think, about 50 government programs <laughs> running in our school that somehow we had to pick up the pieces and, and keep going. Um, we thought he cared about us. We thought he was a visionary. We thought this is fantastic. But actually, we realised in the end that we were just the stepping stone for his next position. So I think we know that although there's a lot of message about just fuel your ambition, just go for it, drive for it. Um, one person was boasting that they'd actually neglected their family for a year because they had to do that to succeed. Um, that's not great. It's not great for your relationships. It's not great for your work colleagues. Um, it's not fantastic for yourself, actually. The seventh false story. I have to find my own vocation. Once again, heaps of memes on this, and this is one of the most popular ones. Find something you love to do and you'll never work a day in your life. Okay, I think that actually works for about one in a million people. <laughs> Sorry to break it. But it's, yeah, some people find that and that's fantastic, but actually for a lot of people that is not the truth. But you'll see the emphasis there, find something you love. I worked out, you know, what's the one of the first questions people ask you from the time you're born? 
One of the first questions is, what are you going to do when you grow up? My son was three when he was asked that question for the first time. His answer was, I want to be a bee. <laughs> for him, that was the ultimate job, <laughs> to be a bee. The next time when he was four, they asked him, he said, I want to be Timmy the dog because we've been reading The Famous Five and he really loved the idea of being a dog. <clears throat> In fact, for a period of time, we had to call him Timmy. Um, anyway, <laughs> sorry, Guy, for these stories. Um, when he was five, they asked him and he answered Harry Potter. <laughs> and when he was six, he realised he wasn't giving the answer that everybody wanted and so he said policeman or something because that seemed to get the response there people be the response people wanted. But that's the thing. We ask people, what do you want to be when you grow up? As if we, we it's all about us, our choice, our decision, our vocation. Um, but I think it's putting a lot of emphasis on us to be able to find it. And I know there's a lot of people who just feel dissatisfied because they're not sure they've found the one thing they're meant to be doing. So there's a bit of truth in this that there, I think there is a sense of vocational calling often but not a whole lot of truth of I have to find it, that one vocation. So what does the Bible have to say about this? It's taken us a fair while to get there, I know, but we're here. <laughs> the Bible has a lot to say this, uh, about this. In our first reading, we had this ma magnificent passage from Genesis, Genesis 1, 26 to 28. And what we have here is a period of time where God has just finished his amazing work. From the start, God has done creation. He's worked, and he's worked in this magnificent way. And then he creates the human beings in his image, the image of someone who works, a God who works. And then he gives human beings this responsibility, this amazing responsibility to steward his creation. And that's what our work is. Our work is part of the responsibility of looking after this creation. Whether you're working in sanitation or whether you're working in a bank and trying to make money available to people who need to do things with it, to whether you're working in a pharmaceutical company to provide drugs or vitamins for people, whatever our work is, whether we're teaching, whether we're in healthcare, whether we're raising children, we're caring for creation. We're doing this work. So we can legitimately say that when God created us, he created us for work. So work is intrinsic to who we are as human beings. And increasingly, science is backing that up. We need to work. We need to work to be healthy as human beings. And also, because God created us with this responsibility to steward his creation, to look after his creation, our work has a sense of meaning and purpose, but particularly if we see it within that context, if we see that we are the image bearer of God in the work that we do. Now, made in the image of God, that phrase, uh, it was a phrase that was well known in the ancient Near East around the time that this is set, um, time that this was written. In the ancient Near East, uh, a king or a ruler, if they were sending out an ambassador, they would give them a, a sort of likeness of them in some form. And so if you carried the image of the king or the ruler and you showed that to someone, they were to treat you as if you were the king or the ruler. So to be made in the image of God actually means that when people look at us, they should see God. We have the authority of God to steward this creation. 
how are we doing that in our work? It's a big responsibility. There's a lot of meaning and purpose in it. The second reading that we had talked about Genesis 2. And uh, I just sort of plucked out a few verses there because I think there's something really significant here. When God has finished doing his creation, he looks around and he sees there's no one to work the ground. And then he makes human beings and then he takes a human being and puts them in the garden to work the ground and to care for the garden. And then later we have that beautiful picture of, you know, all the animals are made and God says to the human being, well, you have the possibility of naming them. I want you to name them. So you can just imagine God sitting back and then bringing the animals before the human being and the human being chooses the name. Platypus, where did that come from? Anyway. (laughs) So rather than faith having no place in the workplace, the reality is that the Bible says we're meant to work with God. Our faith is really important. Because when we go to work, we're meant to be working with God. That's the way that work was created to be. That's the way we were created to be, to work in partnership with God, in alignment with God. And that's a better story to live by. However, there is a bit of an issue, and we didn't do this reading, but I think this is the start of where the idea of work being cursed comes from. See, what happens is all, all that stuff about the good stuff about work, that was before the fall. But then evil enters the garden and the people disobey God. And then there are consequences for that. And so God speaks to the serpent who tempted Eve and then he speaks to Eve and he talks about how childbirth will be more painful as a result. And then he talks to Adam and he says this about work. Now, what you'll notice is that it's not work itself that is cursed. If you see those verses, what is cursed is the ground. Cursed is the ground because of you, says God. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. So work itself is not cursed. It's the process of working that is cursed. Work will be harder. It'll be more difficult. And that's what we experience, isn't it? Work itself still has the potential to be a good thing, but the process of working is hard and working with other people is hard (laughs) and systems that we work with are hard. But that, as Christians, means that when we go into the workplace, we should not be surprised You know when everyone else gets surprised that the computer system has failed? We should not be surprised. (laughs) This is just the outworking of sin in the workplace. (laughs) When there's conflict at work, we should not be surprised because this is just a natural outcome of sin working its way through the workplace. And that gives us a bit of an advantage, I think, that we can see this, we can anticipate it, we can work to hold back the impact of evil, the impact of sin. We're aware that it exists and it's around. So it's not work itself is, that is cursed, the false story, but we know that the process of working is cursed, and that gives us a possibility of actually working against that. Okay, the next one. Colossians 1, 17, 19 to 20, tells us that Jesus, when he was risen again, um, is actually risen to a place where he is sovereign over the whole world, And that everything actually is held together 
in him and through him. So as it says in verses 19, 20, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus and through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Now, this is one of those now and not yet things. This is true now, but it's not yet. It will have its fulfillment when Jesus comes again. But it means that we, as Christians, have this amazing task as ambassadors of Christ to be agents of reconciliation. Paul uses both those terms in the workplace. So work does have a higher purpose or a higher meaning than just earning money. Work is never just about earning money. We are actually have the possibility of being part of this reconciliation process, of giving people a taste of the kingdom in our work. And work is not just about us, this me, 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 ambition, drive, success. Work is not meant for that. Work has a higher purpose than that. At the very least, it's about God. Um, but it's also about the people we work amongst. It's impossible to do our work purely on our own. We actually need other people to be able to do our work. They either have to do some work that we use or else they use the work that we do. Work is always done in community. And we are working for reconciliation within community through our work. And we come to this last story. So we've heard that work is a good thing. There are great possibilities of our work, that work is impacted by sin, but there are possibilities of redemption. And so we come to this idea of vocation. Now, the word vocation or calling, uh, vocation is, comes from the Latin for calling, um, it actually suggests something. It suggests that someone is doing the calling, doesn't it? And that someone is God. God is calling us to do work. You don't hear or see that in um, many memes, actually. <laughs> but that is an important reality. We have a calling from God to do good work. I've read this verse before. It's one of my favorites, but I, I really love it um, because it has a lot to say about our work in God's um, vision. For we are God's handiwork. We are a work of God ourselves individually. We are a masterpiece of God created in Christ Jesus to do good works. We're actually being created to do good work, whatever context that is, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Isn't that mind-blowing? So if you're wondering about your calling, what you need to know is that God knows what that is. <laughs> and he's the one who does the calling. And he has prepared some work for you to do. So it's not so much a matter of I have to find my own vocation. It's actually a matter of I have to ask God, what is the work that you want me to do? And I've put up here also Eugene Peterson's version of this from the message. God creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does. The good work he has gotten ready for us to do, work we had better be doing. <laughs> so really, it's not so much a matter of waiting to find that one thing. It's actually getting on and doing the work that is before us with the people he has placed us amongst. So what we've heard is a better story, I think, the biblical story for the possibilities of work. It's exciting when we read in the Bible about work, what work could be. 
But I think if we're really serious about finding meaning in our nine to five, what we need is a bit of imagination of what could be possible. And Tim Keller has written this, and I think this is a really fantastic way for us to go into work. Let us think, through Jesus, what can our work lead to? These are the possibilities. A more just distribution of power and wealth. How could you, through your work, possibly be part of that? Showing compassion and respect for human dignity. Maybe that's already a part of your work. Maybe that's something you could be part of bringing to the fore more. Creating art that promotes hope and community. Remember, work isn't just the thing we're paid to do. Some people are paid to create art. Others do it as a hobby. But our art can actually be a means through which God can speak, through which God can work. Building community-minded neighbourhoods. Maybe that's part of your work at the moment. Maybe you're primarily caring for kids or maybe you have the sort of work that is about neighbourhood. How can you build a better vision for neighbourhood, a neighbourhood where people flourish? More expressions of mercy and justice. We know we have a God of mercy and a God of justice. How can we be expressions of that through our work? I think at the minimum, it means we should be part of ensuring our workplaces are more humane. Sometimes workplaces can be really sterile places. Um, They say that loneliness is a massive problem in workplaces. How can we make our workplaces places where there's a real sense of community and hospitality and maybe even beauty? How can we bring peace-filled dialogue amid conflict? There's so much conflict in the world. Maybe there's conflict in your workplace. How can you be a peacemaker in your workplace? I hope that's given you a bigger vision for what are the possibilities for God working through you in your work. And for me, that's a much better story about work than any of those false stories that we spoke about before. Okay, let me pray for us, and then after that, we'll go into a time of communion. Father God, thank you. Thank you that you, through your work, created us. Thank you that you created us to do good work. Thank you that we are image bearers of you, that we can be part of the work that you are doing in the world through our daily, through our everyday work. I pray, Father God, that you would give us a vision for what you can do through our work. I pray that through what we've heard this morning, we might be able to be more attuned to some of those false stories of work that are out there in our workplace, that we may be able to be a part of and show people a better story about work. We can show people how their work can have more meaning, more significance. We can show people how God can change their thoughts around work. And I pray that through our work, you may do great things you may establish your kingdom, a kingdom that is full of mercy, justice, compassion, peace. I pray, Lord, that we might be a part of that, even in a little way, in the work that we do. And I pray that you would give us hope in our work, not least because we know we are never alone in our work. It's not like we take you to work as an extra, but you're already at work in our workplace and we get to work with you. May that really transform our Mondays and our Tuesdays and our Wednesdays and our Thursdays and our Fridays because we know we work with you in all these things. I pray your blessing on all the work that we do. 